Hi, this is John, by the way, and I'm excited this morning to talk to you, or whenever you're listening, today about 2 Nephi chapters 1 and 2. If we kind of get a big picture look, 2 Nephi 1 is Lehi talking to Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and Zoram. 2 Nephi 2 is Lehi speaking to Jacob. And 2 Nephi 3 is Lehi speaking to Joseph. And then in 2 Nephi 4, Nephi kind of takes over, and this is where we have what we sometimes call Nephi's psalm after Lehi dies and he says, oh, wretched man that I am, and, and, but I know in whom I have trusted. It's a great, great chapter. But anyway, in 2 Nephi chapter 1, here is Lehi's like deathbed type words to his sons. One of the things that, a few things we might talk about, in verse 6 it says that none shall come into this land say they shall be brought by the hand of the Lord. Now, I like what uh, Millet and McConkie have written about this. They said, quote, It would be hard to suppose this statement applies to each individual that has come from the old world to the new. It apparently refers to groups, not individuals. We know that the Jaredites, the Nephites, and the Mulekites were all brought to this land by the hand of the Lord, notwithstanding the fact that some of their number were unworthy of an inheritance in the promised land. More recent history affords pilgrims and Puritans as illustrations. Of such, the Lord approved in the collective sense, but certainly not in the individual sense in all cases. The context of this phrase seems to sustain that conclusion. The preceding verse speaks of those led out of other countries by the hand of the Lord. The verse that follows states that the land was consecrated to those the Lord would bring. This does not appear to be inclusive, rather it suggests a selective or choosing on the Lord's part as to those who will be his covenant people. So I like the first part of that. Just this is, maybe that was too long to read. It apparently refers to groups, not individuals. The other thing I notice is how often the word awake appears in 2 Nephi chapter 1, in verse 13, in verse 14, in verse 23. And he's speaking to people who are already awake, and those who, of us who are reading the scriptures are already awake physically. And I think this is talking about wake up from a spiritual sleep. I wrote a little book years ago called Sermons in a Sentence, and this is a paragraph from there. When God's children are sinning or simply not living up to their spiritual potential, prophets are sent to shake them into spiritual consciousness. Modern alarm clocks are equipped with a snooze button, a built-in procrastination prevention device that allows postponing the inevitable. The scriptures address spiritual snoozing, a dangerous postponing of becoming fully awake until it is everlastingly too late. A phrase from Helaman 1338. President Ezra Taft Benson warned, we must be shaken and awakened from a spiritual snooze. So I love the idea of uh, postponing by reaching over and hit the snooze button. And maybe it's not just an alarm clock that says, wake up, but a spiritual alarm clock that says, you got to get your act together. And it's easy to say, yeah, I I will. As soon as, you know, as soon as this assignment is over, as soon as this calling's over, as soon as this school year ends, as soon as this job changes, whatever, and we reach over kind of and hit the snooze button. Yes, so that idea of awaking from a deep sleep is very interesting. 
Now, one of the verses that I really want to take off on is in verse 21, and it's been quoted a lot, arise from the dust, my sons, and be men. What do you think Lehi meant when he said, be men? He obviously already knew that his sons were men because they were his sons. So it seems to me that Lehi meant more than just being a male. He wanted them to be men. And it seems to be to me that there's more involved than just being a male. So what does it mean to be a man? How would you define that? And where in the world would our young men go? Our young men in the church go to learn what it means to be a man. (laughs) Think about it. Social media, movies, these are horrible databases and fickle databases for how to run your life. So Brother S. Michael Wilcox, he did a couple of uh, DVDs called Book of Mormon Gospel Study Companion, and he suggested that the answers of what a real man really is are contained in the remaining verses. So if you look at verse 21, where that soul, where that arise from the dust, my sons and be men first appears, he's asking them to, in verse 23, to shake off the dust of Babylon. Real men are awake in verse 23. They're aware, they're involved. Real men, he says, put on the armor of righteousness. They, they accept protecting counsel from God. Real men shake off the chains that bind them. That's what real men do in verse 23. Real men are not afraid to stand apart and to model what goodness looks like. Verse 24, rebel no more against your brother whose views have been glorious. So real men don't rebel against the truth. They don't excuse themselves from sin. Real men, in verse 25, Lehi says, you think he's you accused him that he has sought power and authority over you, but he has sought the glory of God. So what do real men do? They don't seek for power. Real men seek for God's glory. It's a fascinating question. And between you and me and everybody listening on this app or wherever you're getting this, I'm working on I, I've had a book in the file for a long time, a PowerPoint. I've given it a few times. I don't really get opportunities to speak just to young men as much as I'd like, but, and it's going to be called Man Up, what it means to be a man. And I'm kind of going to explore what did Lehi mean when he said, rise from the dust and be men. And there's some great sources we can go to. Elder Christofferson gave a talk called Let Us Be Men in October of 2006. One of the things he said in that talk, it is a wonderful aspiration for a boy to become a man, strong and capable, someone who can build and create things, run things, someone who makes a difference in the world. It is a wonderful aspiration for those of us who are older to make the vision of true manhood a reality in our lives and be models for those who look to us for an example. Now, 2 Nephi 2. 2 Nephi 2 could take hours to talk about. It, it's so good. And this is Lehi talking to his son, Jacob. And right at the beginning, he mentions a, a couple of things. The rudeness of thy brethren. Those are the last five words of verse one. Imagine going on a trip with some who don't want to be there and who complain the whole time, who feel like they're being oppressed by their younger brother, Nephi, the whole time. 
And I just think this is a perfect setting, Lehi to Jacob, Jacob who's never seen Jerusalem, Jacob who was born in the wilderness, Jacob who sees a dysfunctional, arguing family with threats to kill Nephi and threats to kill Lehi as he travels. And this is a perfect place for Lehi to explain opposition in all things. And where does that originate? All the way back with Adam and Eve and the fall. And that's some of the things he talks about here. In verse 2, he uses this phrase, He, God, will consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. And this gives me a chance to read a, one of my favorite statements from Elder Orson F. Whitney. And this is from President Spencer W. Kimball's book, Faith Precedes the Miracle, on page 98. Orson F. Whitney said, No pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience, is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our characters, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. I like the idea that none of our trials are wasted, that they're helping us become what the Lord wants us to become. One of the ideas that I heard recently that's really kind of stuck in my craw is that God just wants us to be comfortable. I, I just, inside, I'm like, really? Was Abinadi comfortable? Was Nephi comfortable? Was Jacob comfortable in the story that we're talking about? Actually, God is much more interested in our growth than he is in our comfort. And we go through things to help us become. If a parent, a earthly parent, a worldly parent, were so concerned about making their kids comfortable that they never let them go through any uncomfortable moments where they had to try something or be nervous or give a talk or a lesson, you know, all of those things, would that be what a loving parent would do? No, these experiences help us to become something. And that's what life is all about, is becoming, trying to become like Jesus. And Jesus had, he descended below all things, his uncomfortable moments. So some of the wonderful things in this chapter are, there is an opposition in all things. We don't hear anything from Jacob about, and we lived happily ever after. In fact, when Jacob finally concludes his record in Jacob chapter 7, verse 26, he says this, Our lives passed away like as it were unto us a dream, we being a lonesome and a solemn people, wanderers, cast out from Jerusalem, born in tribulation, in a wilderness, hated of our brethren, which caused wars and contentions, wherefore we did mourn out our days. <laughs> Jacob 7, 26. That's not happily ever after. That's like, it's, it's been rough. It's been rough. Second Nephi 13 and 14 introduce us to a, a fascinating dichotomy. Dichotomy is, as you can hear, die to divide something into two, kind of a college word like Jews and Gentiles, or Nephites and Lamanites, kind of dividing everything into two. This dichotomy is... God created things both that act and things that are acted upon, which is awesome. Elder Bednar gave uh, 
a talk uh, about this idea of we are to act, not be acted upon. And when we say things like, he makes me mad, or she makes me mad, or I'm just a night person, or, you know, I, I'm grouchy when it's cloudy, you know, we are being acted upon. We're not choosing to act. And we're acting as if we weren't given the agency that we were given. So that's why this is a, a fascinating dichotomy, both things that act and things that are acted upon. I think most everything on the planet is acted upon. I suppose animals react from, you know, instinct reflexes like Pavlov's dog, but humans can act in ways that we could not predict. And we see that people responding with grace to their trials, people uh, choosing to be happy when things are difficult for them, or choosing to have a good attitude when things are difficult, when we wouldn't blame them if they were grouchy. Kind of a stimulus response type model. But as Stephen Covey has said so beautifully, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space, lies our freedom to choose our response. So we, choose, we get to act and not just be acted upon. Easier said than done? Absolutely. Now, the last part about Second Nephi 2, the last thing that I want to mention is the incredible flood of light it gives us about the fall. Most of the Christian world uh, has basically thrown Adam and Eve under the bus, or they don't believe in Adam and Eve at all. They think that that's all a fable. But if they do believe in Adam and Eve, they, they think they were so selfish and power-hungry that if it weren't for them, we'd all be living in paradise today. And that kind of idea in one line in 2 Nephi chapter 23, I mean, we go past these verses so quickly but what we're learning here is profound and important. Second Nephi 2, 22. And now behold, Leah says to Jacob, if Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen, but he would have remained in the Garden of Eden. And all things which were created must have remained in the same state in which they were after they were created. And they must have remained forever and had no end. And, verse 23, they would have had no children. Wherefore, they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. And then verse 24, which is like my fallback verse, when I don't understand things. Why did the plan have to be this way? Why did Jesus have to suffer the way he suffered? Why was it so horrific? scourging and crucifixion and everything. Couldn't there have been another way that we could obtain salvation? Mm -hmm. Anyway, all of these questions sometimes back me up against the wall. Second Nephi 2.24 is my fallback verse. But behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. So, everything that's happened is because God knows everything and he knows what he's doing. And if I can infer in that line, 
And so whether or not it's clear to you, John, everything is unfolding as it should, according to the plan. And then verse 25, what a wonderful flood again of light. Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. Now, if you're listening on Our Turtle House, you also know that I did a talk called Our Glorious Mother Eve, which you have access to, where I go through Second Nephi 2 much longer. I talk about these same things a little bit longer. And in there, I mentioned that Moses chapter 6, verse 48, sounds a lot like Second Nephi 2.25, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. It sounds very similar, but instead it says, because that Adam fell, we are, and we are made partakers of misery and woe. So sometimes you have Second Nephi 2.25 days where you have joy, and sometimes you have Moses 6.48 days where you're a partaker of misery and woe. And that is the nature of life. But And then the best part, verse 26, the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. And because they're redeemed from the fall, they become free forever, knowing good from evil. And now they're in this world of opposition and all things to act for themselves and not be acted upon. So what an amazing chapter, 2 Nephi chapter 2. And so many profound ideas covered in there. So I hope this has been helpful in my short little, here's some extra things. And I hope this has been helpful to you. And I'm excited to talk to you next time as we continue in Second Nephi.